back of Inge Britson is going to do in the 1500. He has time to look behind him. 20 years of age, and he is on top of the world. But coming down for a maiden national crown, Cornwall is a champion. Garouge has run his race, or has he? Has he got anything left? El Garouge trying to get there. Kipchoge the junior's there. El Garouge is trying to get to the line. Kenya wins it. Kipchoge takes Vivian Chariot's turn. And what a proud moment for her and the Kenyans. The first woman from her nation to take the 5,000 metre title. Vivian Chariot in Greenland. On the outside, Oli Hall of Australia comes. Jake Whiteman has just spent. It's going to be Chariot and Hall who's going to get it. It's going to be Australia, the gold. Run a night at Singapore's most vibrant night marathon this May. Experience the Sundown Marathon on the Endurance Travel Experience Package from $2,700. All packages include accommodation, transfers, guaranteed race entry, Tarkine shoes and tea, facilitated runs with a professional coach, recovery station access and more. Inquire today by visiting endurancetravel.co and to top it off, every inquiry has the chance to win a Tarkine running pack worth $500. Hello and welcome to the Runners Tribe When We Were Faster podcast. My name is Daniel Hopkins and in the When We Were Faster series, we talk to runners whose fastest days may be behind them, but who now find a new way to make running an important part of their life. In this episode, I talk with Benita Willis, new mum, former superstar on the track, road and cross country and current coach at Lace Up Running. Um, Lace Up Running are online and in person coaches and you can find Benita and her group of coaches at www.laceuprunning.com.au. Benita's Australia's only world cross-country champion, winning the long course event in 2004 in Belgium. Benita's record at world cross-country is nothing short of remarkable. World cross is arguably the world's toughest distance race to win a medal or even make the top 10. Benita debuted for Australia in 2001, finishing fourth then winning the long course in 2004. In a six-year period, she raced World Cross Country seven times, finishing in the top seven for six consecutive years, including doubling in the short and the long course in 2006. In addition to her win in 2004, she finished fourth three times. Benita's success wasn't limited to cross country. She held every Australian record from 2,000 metres to the marathon. She still holds four national records with the 2,000 metres and 10,000 metres on the track, 5K on the road, 10K on the road, and some of those records are almost 20 years old. In our conversation, Benita talks about the transition in her career when she had to adjust from being the underdog to being the favourite and how she coped with that challenge. She also talks about the transition from the track to the marathon, her love of cross-country, her amazing consistency in that event, along with the exciting prospect of Australia hosting the World Cross Country in Bathurst next month. Despite holding the Australian marathon record for 16 years, she talks more about her challenges in the marathon than reflecting on her own success there and how she might have approached that distance differently if she had a time over again. She's one of the greatest, arguably the greatest distance runner Australia has produced. I hope you enjoy Bernice's reflection on an incredible career and her insights as an athlete, coach, new mum and recreational runner. Hello, Benita Willis, and welcome to the Runners Tribe When We Were Faster podcast. Great to have you on. Thanks, Danny. Yeah, I'm excited to be on this one and, um, yeah, looking forward to having a chat. And uh, where do we find you today? You're, you're in the Gold Coast these days, is that right? Yeah, I moved to the Gold Coast a couple of years ago and um, I had been living in Brisbane before that. Um, but yeah, living on the Gold Coast in Currumbin, uh, beautiful southern end of the Gold Coast. And uh, yeah, I've just found us renovating a three-storey house at the moment. <laughs> oh, wow. That's uh, that's challenging, but uh, no doubt exciting when uh, when it's all done. For, um, uh, for Runners and listeners who might be um, might be new to new to running or new to athletics, um, we probably should give a bit of background about uh, who you are and and what you've done in the world of of running and and athletics, uh, because there may be some new listeners, some younger listeners that may not have followed your career as 
as it evolved through the through the early 2000s, as many of us were privileged to see it happen. Um, but going through your highlights, uh, you've got the national records or held the national records from every distance from 2000 metres to the marathon, uh, bronze medal at the World Half Marathon Championships, gold medal at the World Cross Country Championships. Of all of these achievements, which would you say that you're most proud of and, and probably best known for? Yeah, look, it would definitely be the win at the World Cross Country Championship um, in 2004. Um, but certainly, I think um, coming third in the World Half Marathon Champs in 2003, um, that probably really helped me believe that I could get up to a podium in, at a world championship level. Um, and I just come off running the national 10K uh, track record at the Paris uh, World Champs uh, that year, just before the World Half Marathon as well. So I think um, certainly that World Cross Country win, um, but yeah, a lot of races before that win in 2004 really helped sort of shape um, my career and, and the direction it was going and, um, and gave me a lot of confidence to, to really have a go to try to win that, that particular World Cross Country. And um, yeah, I think a lot of it is about confidence and, um, and being, being able to not only run at the front of the pack, but um, what, you know, what you can do in the last lap of those sort of races to actually, actually win. Um, Cause it, it's a lot of risk taking, I think, um, in those bigger races to, to be up there, but yeah. Certainly, world cross country, but um, I am very proud of a lot of um, a lot of those Australian records that I set. A lot of them have been broken now, but um, still have a few on there. <laughs> Absolutely, it's amazing, amazing how well they've stood the test of time, and um, probably the probably the most recent one that we've seen uh, surpassed was Sinead Diver breaking the Australian women's marathon record uh, late last year. Um, a remarkable run, and and for you it was uh, how, well. How how was it for you, sort of seeing that record go down? Mixed emotions. Yeah, certainly. And look, you know, Sinead, um, she's a, a wonderful person and a fantastic athlete, and um, I couldn't be happier for someone like her to to have broken it and for me to pass it on to her. Um, but yeah, like looking at a lot of her races, um, she'd been leading up to to running faster and faster. Um, but you know, last year she had a few setbacks um, in a couple of marathons before that that two twenty one in Valencia, and I think it's a real credit to her for sort of um, not not giving up. And certainly, I know she didn't give up, but coming back stronger after disappointment. Um, I think she had a um, you know a marathon in Japan where um, she DNF'd, and then Com Games as well um, leading into that one. So like it was a fantastic run by her um, to sort of come out and run a huge PB and break that record um, by a fair bit. But yeah, like I, I've got a four month old baby. So I knew that marathon was on, but I forgot to sort of follow it. And then I had all these messages on my phone. Um, and then like I checked and I went, oh, that Sinead's just broken that record. So um, I didn't, yeah, I didn't realize until a few of my friends had texted me and let me know. Um, but yeah, but I'm really happy for Sinead and she's um, she deserves it. And yeah, she's a very good marathoner. Um, very, very, you know, Run, runs them very well so it's one of those things where I always knew it was going to get broken it was just a matter of time um but certainly yeah um yeah I mean it, I do think about the race where I set that the record in Chicago a long time ago um to, in 2006 but um when records get broken it's a sign that um distance running's moving in, in the right direction and we've got so many good marathon girls at the moment um so you know they're really sort of striving to um to be competition for each other um, as well as against the rest of the world. And um, it's it's a wonder that these records are getting broken. It's um it's a good thing for the sport. Absolutely. And and you mentioned, you know, the the challenge and the setbacks that Sinead faced. And yeah, there's some of the topics that I'd love to love to discuss with you throughout this conversation. Um, but you also brought up uh, being a, a new mum of, of a four-month-old poppy. How's how's the change in in life going from uh uh to, to having a, a new baby in the house yeah look it's um yeah it's a pretty big adjustment but um anthony and i really yeah really excited to be able to have her and um you know getting pregnant when i was almost 43 was one of those things that um we weren't sure that was going to happen um and that's why we brought this house to renovate so we brought the house to renovate before we knew we were having poppy um but yeah, she she's amazing, and she's four months old now. She's um, keeping us on our toes for sure, and already trying to um, stand up. And she just wants to be on the ground and um, on her feet all the time. So 
she might be um she's not walking yet obviously but like she just wants to be doing that so um I think we're gonna have to um yeah have to get ready to chase her around a bit soon <laughs> and is it uh, is it tempting as a as a former elite athlete to sort of look at look at uh, your four month old and think oh I wonder <laughs> yeah look oh yeah you know I think um, I just wanted to do whatever makes her happy and um, we've got a lot of musicians um, in our family as well so you never know she might um, she might want to be a musician or um, you know she might want to do um, you know I, I always want kids any kids of mine and um, I love seeing kids playing sport and uh, certainly when I was growing up I did a lot of team sports so that's what I wanted to be involved in um, and obviously running is really good fitness for the team sports but um, I'm not going to push her in any direction but yeah it's funny because um, mum reckons that I walked when I was seven months old so um, we're just waiting to see waiting to see how she goes but uh, yeah I just wanted to be happy and I think her best friend at the moment is our little dog, so um, she'll be following <laughs> around when she can walk. <laughs> do you think? Do you think that sort of evolution in in sort of developing uh, a skill or or a talent is yeah has to be rooted in sort of following a, a passion? Oh, for sure, yeah. And look, that's um, one of the huge motivators in my career was um, you know if I if I'm not passionate about something I could never do it to the hundred percent um full on and I was always like whatever I was doing I always wanted to do the absolute best I could do and um when I was in high school you know hockey was my passion and um I was very much involved in hockey and I did a fair bit of running but not um not as much as the hockey and um and then I grew to love running when I finished high school and um and went over to the Australian Institute of Sports so um I think yeah, you've got to sort of really have a passion for what you're doing. And and I retired from running when I was probably about 32 or 33 because I just didn't have the passion um, for the elite side of running anymore. I wanted to do something else. So um, that's what I, I would always say to people, follow your passions and follow your dreams and um, and don't do careers that people expect you to do. Do what you want to do. And, um, and running wasn't a career when I was, I grew up in a country town in Mackay um, and it wasn't like being an elite sports person wasn't really a career that people talked about. Everyone just went to uni and, um, and just got a normal job. So um, it's one of those things that I really thank my parents as well for encouraging me to, to do what I wanted to do. And, um, and you've just got to give everything a go, I think, as well. And if it's not working, try something new. And I think that's probably um, what I learned from my parents. And I'll always sort of teach that to Poppy as well. And I'd love to explore the uh, the World Cross uh, lead up and and race, but um, but before we go there, you sort of mentioned that lead into you know, how you got involved in in running and starting off with hockey and then uh, going to the AIS. Your your sort of breakthrough year appeared to come in around two thousand. Was was that the point in which you realised that? your passion could could be an actual career yeah yeah for sure um because yeah i i moved to canberra straight out of high school in 1997 and i did university full-time at university of canberra so i was doing a teaching degree there and um yeah i just trained i trained quite hard for a number of years and and got better and better but until i made that sydney olympic team and that was actually my first australian open team that i'd made um, until I made that team, um, really, I just thought I was doing running to to keep really fit, and um, I was lucky to be on a scholarship. So I didn't really think I was um, much better than a lot of other people. Um, but yeah, making that Sydney Olympic team, um, I won the trial in the 5K, but uh, I was actually training for the 1500 that year and came fourth in the trial. And I remember being really disappointed and um, just thinking, oh, I'm not going to make it. And there'd been seven girls that had qualified for the 5K for Sydney Olympics, and and I hadn't even done a 5K, so I just went in the trial and in those days you could just go in the race and I ended up winning the trial and 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 running the A qualifier so uh it was sort of a big a big breakthrough um yeah for me mentally as well um and I knew I could do the training I was training training really well so yeah I think ever since that Sydney Olympics um and then I still finished my uni degree but I never really uh taught I became a teacher I sort of ever since the Olympics in that year I ended up going on to a lot more different world championships like indoors world cross world half and um and world outdoor champs straight after that so yeah it was really a big stepping stone in my career and lovely to be able to run olympics uh in your home country as well so your first 5000 meters you win the olympic trial 
When was your second 5,000 metres? Was that at the Olympics or did you get to race in between? I think I might have done one in between in Bankstown. Um, yeah. So, yeah. But not, so I, I was very interested. <laughs> yeah. So you turn up at, at your first first Olympics, a home Olympics, running a 5,000 in what might have been your third 5,000 ever. Yeah, yeah. And I remember um, I was, remember I was leading the race for quite a few laps. So oh, yeah. I, I almost made the trial. And um, and funny how the Olympics work out. I did four Olympics, but my best one was probably Sydney. Um, and I think I came 17th overall. So 15 made the final. So I was very close, very close to making the final. Did a PB in my heat. I remember that as well. Um, but yeah. Anyone? Oh, what's that? Around 15-20, Yeah, Yeah, I think around that, yeah. And I was about 21, I think, too. Wow. So it was a good start to the career. Um, but um, we're, we're moving around a little bit. Up with, the, with the World Cross coming up in, um, in Bathurst in Australia, I uh, really want to sort of explore your thoughts and, and feelings about about that event coming up and it's obviously a competition that's very very close to your heart um, you've um, I understand you've been involved in the bid process uh, with Australia actually getting the world cross which which was due to be here a couple of years ago but with COVID there's been some delays so you've been a, a an active uh, an active um, participant in getting the world cross to Australia that must have been satisfying. Yeah, look, it was awesome um, to to be able to present the bid to the World Athletics Council. This was back in 2018 in Monaco, um, and I was there uh, for an, a World Athletics Athlete Commission meeting, and um, and we we were sort of we had a bit of a bid together, um, and I was I, I was presenting it there, and Sebco um, was was there as well with everyone. So yeah, it was pretty cool to go through it all. Um, at at that stage, it was sort of like would we actually get this thing? Because I know um, Australia tried to get it a number of years ago, I think in Victoria. Um, so it was one of those things where, you know, I wanted to help out and just really um, see, see what would happen. And it feels like such a long time ago. Yeah. And, I, and yeah, obviously went to 21 and then to 22 and, and now it's going to be here in 23. And with less than a month to go, um, pretty exciting. I've seen that they've got 68 countries coming and um, it's really, it's going to be really well supported, which is fantastic and um, great to see so many of these cross-country runners coming out here because, you know, I think cross-country, um, if you're fitting cross-country, it really helps you across all different surfaces. And I know um, throughout my career, um, running well at the World Cross Country at the start of the year always set me up for a really good season, um, whether it was indoors, whether it was, you know, uh, outdoor track or roads. So, um, you know, within my coaching, um, in my business, I always want people to be doing some cross-country work because it, it's so important for your, for your development as an athlete. Uh, absolutely. And, um, and you mentioned your coaching at the moment as well. We should just uh, quickly jump into that. It's, um, it's lace-up running, is that right? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so my partner, Anthony, and I started Lace Up Running uh, at the start of COVID in 2020. And um, we really just wanted to have a few um, a few little ISO comps for people that were in isolation. And, um, you know, I don't think we had it too bad here in Queensland, but, um, but still we were all in isolation as well. And what we did was got a few sponsors, um, a few people that we knew to develop, uh, to, to donate some prizes. And we had a competition each week so it might have been like the um the greatest elevation one week and one week might have been a 5k um there was lots of different sort of little comps and um and then we sent out prizes to the winners so we sort of started our business like that and um it's an individualized online coaching um business mainly and we have some group sessions here on the gold coast so you know, we have people um, from, you know, four-hour uh, marathon runners to ultra runners to um, we've got an elite athlete program. So we've just got a handful of elites. And uh, one of our elite athletes, Lindsay Flanagan um, from America, came out to run the Gold Coast Marathon last year and, and won in a course record of 2.24. And that was a big PB for Lindsay. And, yeah, she's ranked fifth at the moment um, amongst the American girls over there. And um, and she's she's got Tokyo Marathon coming up, so she you know she's really keen to get into the World Champs team um, for for America this year. But uh, yeah, look, I love coaching, um, and I coach probably 
uh, within our business, we coach about 40 or 50 people. Um, and yeah, it's just great to just see them improve, not only with their running, but um, mentally and, um, and, and for them to meet other people that we're working with as well um, for the social impact of the sport. So yeah, I really, yeah, really enjoy it. And um, I've, I've, you know, I'm still coaching a fair few people, but I'll start coaching a lot more now. Poppy's getting a little bit older as well. And I start working a bit more. It sounds like there's a real sort of community feel around that. Do you sort of see running as playing a, a critical role in the community? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, and it's one of those things that, um, you know, this, the social benefits of running is huge. So um, for me as a coach, like, it's not just about setting the training. Um, I think there's so many more aspects to um, to being a being a good coach but also helping people um, and a lot of it's about understanding people and showing empathy and um, you know sometimes people um, they just want someone to talk to um, it's not necessarily about the paces or all the times they did in a session so um, I think that sort of side of the sport's really important and, and even organizing you know coffee afterwards and um, and you know having Facebook chat groups um, so then you know people that you're coaching can organize to catch up um, and, and do their own sort of runs and um, and you're really connecting people um, who might have completely different sorts of jobs and different backgrounds, but you're connecting them through running. So I really love that. And yeah, I, I teach quite a lot of uh, recreational running coaching courses for Queensland Athletics. And um, yeah, wow. I really stress in those courses that it's the social impact side of the running um, and to show empathy as a coach and understand people is, is just as important or even more important in some ways than um, actually setting the, the running. <laughs> so, yeah. And how do, um, is there, are you taking on any more athletes? Is there more room, is there room in the program to add more or, or are you at capacity? Yeah, no, I can probably add more. We've got, um, I've got a coach called Jane Fidel, who's also working with us um, and my partner, Anthony. And Anthony's done lots of trail races. So he looks after a lot of trail the longer trail trail runners um and then jane's got a, um, a marathon running and triathlon background so she coaches um a lot of marathoners but um pretty much yeah a lot of different sorts of people and yeah I, and i coach most of the elites uh jane's got one elite um and but our elite program's very small so it's mainly um rec runners who just want to um ha have a goal and it might be it might be a time-based goal but it also might just be i just want to get you know consistent with my training and um you know and and make sure i'm accountable for what i'm doing and um yeah i've got a few a few ladies that are just coming back from having babies as well um so right. yeah so it's sort of similar position to me um i've just started running um so i, I had poppy four months ago so i'm just up to running 15 minutes so um right. you know yeah these return to running programs you've got to be quite uh yeah, just gradual with it, but it's good to have someone sh um, setting what, what you should do rather than sort of just trying to guess it yourself. And um, that's, yeah, that's the key role that I think I play um, in helping people who I work with, yeah. But I do have a bit of capacity for sure. Right. And so how would people find you? Um, laceuprunning.com.au uh, online um, and or you just check out our Instagram. And um, But, yeah, if you send us an email, um, it's, it's our email is info at laceuprunning.com dot au and um and yeah send us a little note but uh yeah i think our instagram is people like to check out what we do um over there and um yeah and just just get in touch but um it's yeah it's one of those um sort of things where i just i i do really like love working with people and um we've got a lot of people overseas so i was doing a lot of coaching in boulder in colorado before i moved back to australia in 2014 so i think that's where my love for helping people really really started when I when I started um, I started a coaching business over there um, and we worked at Boulder Center for Sports Medicine uh, so we did it was it was a lot of physiology uh, based work as well um, but my business over here probably doesn't have quite as much physiology uh, but uh, but certainly yeah certainly enjoy it and um, yeah and I love seeing people in person so we do have very targeted runs leading up to Gold Coast Marathon. Uh, sunny coast marathon and brisbane marathon especially um but then obviously we have people running all sorts of races and you know a lot of people that we work with you know they set a goal a few a few bigger goals throughout the year um of a race that they might want to travel to um and then they train for those those races um and have a holiday after afterwards so and there is a lot of people that i, I never really see 
um, too much. Um, but there's a lot of people that I've worked with in America for, for over 10 years now. So, um, you know, they've wanted me to set their programs and I've only sort of seen them when I was living in Colorado. I've got a few, I've got two people that I coach in Columbus in Ohio that I've coached for 10 years. Um, so yeah, it's just, um, one of those things that you just enjoy following their lives as well and, um, and having a bit of an impact in, in what they're doing. Um, oh, that's fantastic. And it sounds like it's got a real international flavor to it as well. And, um, on the uh, on the elite side or the sub elite side, have you got anyone uh, anyone coaching running at um, World Cross in Bathurst, either in the elite race or in uh, I believe there's a golden ticket race this year for the first time. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, no, like I don't have anyone running. Um, yeah, I, but I saw have, I saw your uniform. Are you running in one in in one of those races? Oh, I'm in the uh, the Masters race on the Sunday, so yeah. fortunately that doesn't have a selection criteria linked to it. Um, if you're registered with Australian Masters, you can have a run. So uh, I'm I'm looking forward to getting out on the course and uh, and mixing it with a uh, with the best old old fellas in the world. So uh, it'll be good good fun. So and I think yeah. I, I love the concept that um, it's actually providing a platform to connect elite athletes. I believe there's some school races, some junior races, some age group races. Uh, I think the, the um, uh, there's a, a, an open race on the on the Sunday, I believe, that um, uh, anyone can enter. The golden ticket race on the Friday, I think, is a, a fascinating concept in that um, if you've just missed out on making the Australian team, it's your last last hurrah to to get a, a run at World Cross Country with, with the elites. So, yeah, it's great to see some creativity coming into the sport. Yeah, yeah. Look, when I was running, um, there was just those, you know, junior races and the senior races and that's it. And it was all over in a few hours. So it's so cool. I was checking out the program the other day. And, um, yeah, that golden ticket race is quite interesting because, um, you know, you run you run uh, really hard on, on the Friday. And then if you win the golden ticket, you're backing up, which is very <laughs> <laughs> but like you would back up if you if you wanted to get into World Cross, so. <laughs> oh, and it, and look if it provides the platform for a, uh, for somebody who's just on the edge of national selection to get that international experience that might as you sort of mentioned before, there's some races where your confidence can change just by being in the mix or in the race or at the next level, and if if this race does that for some some athletes to to give them international experience then hopefully it's a good thing oh yeah and look i always um you know even with my coaching as well i think people that are sort of in between that 18 to 23 year old age group i think it's really hard for a lot of them um to make that breakthrough and uh i know when i was younger um the times to make teams were a lot slower um and now you know some of these times to make track teams are are really quick and it's really hard to run those times when you're young so um you know that sort of that sort of gap um i guess when you're just coming out of um coming out of juniors so probably closer to 20 to 23 um you know that people in that age group um it'd be a good opportunity for them to um to have a go in this golden ticket race and um you just need sometimes you just need one confidence booster and it really kickstarts your career and um yeah i, I really feel because a lot of those people they're not sponsored um they they work kind of probably not full-time jobs because they're training really hard but they've got to work jobs to get enough money to support their running um and then when they go overseas they're you know spending all this money to be overseas racing and um it's very hard for those particular people so it's it's a great concept and um i think you know maybe they should have more of those sort of things um with other championships as well absolutely and and i think um i think there's talk of maybe some sort of mass petition participation race at the uh, Paris Olympics in 2024 so it'll be interesting to see what what form that takes and and um, I would imagine that if there's a chance for for people to run on the streets in Paris during Olympic Games it'll be uh, it'll be pretty well received but um, back to back to Bathurst and and the Australian team coming up um, ha have you had a look good look at uh, the selections in the Australian team and have uh, how do you feel about the the team that we're that we're sending to Bathurst from from various parts of the country? There's there's some looks like there's some pretty good talent there. 
Yeah, for sure. Look, I, I watched, um, I was up in Mackay when um, the trials were on, so I watched it on YouTube and um, it was it was really cool to, to watch everyone race. And obviously I've seen a lot of these Aussie girls running um, throughout the year last year and the year before. And um, yeah, look, I, I think um, I'm really excited about that um, mixed relay. Um, that's a new one. Um, you know, Abby Caldwell ran really well in the trial, um, but Jess Hull was, was having a real go as well. So I think um, with those two girls, um, you know, they're going to be really good. And I love watching Stuart McSwain race. Um, and, you know, I love watching him race those Africans um, in the Diamond Leagues. And, um, you know, he's he's the toughest, one of the toughest competitors um, and just, you know, a great guy, but um, just love seeing him do well. And um, I know he's going to have a real good crack at that at that relay. So um, it's going to be exciting um, to, to see something different as well at World Cross. Um, but obviously I love the 10K races and uh, when I when I ran World Cross Country, it was 8K, um, so it's slightly different. And, and, some, and you know, they had a shorter distance race as well. So, um, you know, seeing Rose Davies, I, I follow a lot of how Rose is going and, um, you know, she's, she's always up there um, and seeing her win the trial was pretty cool. And um, I know she'll be a really good competitor and uh, she's from New South Wales as well. So I think it's for the, for the people from New South Wales, it's always great to run in your home state um, at a world championship. And I know, you know, I, you know, so like Sydney Olympics felt like it was my home state when I ran there. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so seeing Rose win was really good. But, um, you know, Leanne um, Pompiani, uh, who came second, I don't know too much about her, but she's running, you know, she won Zach and yeah. Uh, yeah, she won a lot of, she's been winning a lot of road races, um, I think Bernie as well. So um, I think she's one of those ones that's really sort of improved heaps and, um, you know, she's going to continue to improve and, uh, you know, and start making, um, you know, it'd be great to see her in an Olympic team as well. So, um, but yeah, look, in the trials, it was also cool to watch Ali Pashley um, coming back from having her baby, um, Tiggy, and also, yeah, pretty cool. And also Jen as well, um, coming back from having her baby Archer. So, you know, I, I feel like I'm only up to running 15 minutes so far and um, <laughs> those girls. Oh, Any yeah. temptations for a uh, for a comeback, B? Oh, uh, look, uh, you never say never, but um, <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. I'm, prob I'm probably not um, not at the stage of my life to be dedicating that much time to to training. But uh, look, I, I want to be running at least half an hour, and um, you know, running four or five times a week, which is what I used to do before my pregnancy. Um, but yeah, seeing um, yeah, seeing Ali and and Jen, um, and they'll only continue to improve as well. Um, and then look, Izzy Bat Doyle as well. It was great to see her um, her running and um, to see that big breakthrough at Melbourne Marathon for her last year. And I mean, my first marathon, I think I ran 238. And I think she ran, uh, was it 226 or 220? It's pretty quick. Yeah, mid 220s. And, and on Melbourne, which isn't the easiest of courses. So, um, and I, I believe her preparation was you know, not particularly long. So, yeah, signs are pretty good. We've got pretty good marathon stocks at the moment. Yeah, like, oh, she, um, yeah, so, you know, and seeing her backing up to do that cross trial and and, um, and making the team as well is, is awesome. Um, and Caitlin Adams, like, I love watching Caitlin Adams race. Um, so, yeah, for those girls, it was fantastic. And then um, on the men's side, Jack Rayner, I, I think, you know, he's one of the guys that I love, I love to see compete. Um, and he always competes really well. Um, so just and and I mean I, I saw Ramsen had a bit had a bit of a go at the lead and <laughs> yeah <laughs> which is cool and um, yeah and then obviously Brett Robinson coming back um, from that brilliant Australian record and um, so soon um, after his marathon in the trial so you'd think he might be even be better at World Cross as well um, so yeah yeah I didn't expect him to run the trial so it was impressive just to uh, just to race as you say so close after breaking that uh, breaking Deke's record at, at Fukuoka so um, he's obviously recovered well and um, and as and you would imagine that uh, four weeks later with a bit more uh, bit more recovery in the legs after Fukuoka that um, he'd be he'd be another one to, to mix it well at World, um, at World Cross and Seems to be the sort of guy that always finishes sort of in the 20s or 30s. I don't think he's he's finished uh, much lower than that in, in multiple appearances. So pretty strong, pretty consistent. So, yeah, it'd be great to see him on home soil. Mm. Yeah, look, and um, 
you know, I know that all our runners, they'll find something extra running, um, you know, a world championship race on home soil and um, and running in the first world cross country that we've ever hosted. So, and I'll, you know, I'm sure we won't see another one hosted here in Australia in our lifetime. So it's a great opportunity. And uh, I always say too, like, if you're fit and healthy um, and you're on the start line in these races, um, you've really got to have a go. And um, when I won that gold medal, um, you know, I really had to have a go and take a few risks in that race to try to win it. And I never, I was never in that same situation again. Like I had a lot of fourth, fifth um, and, you know, top tens at World Cross, but I was never in a situation to even, I was, I was in, I one other time in 2003, I was in a situation to get a bronze medal, but I was never in another situation to get a gold medal. So you've really got to take your chances, um, you know, when, when they come and, um, and have a real go. So your, your first World Cross 2001, was that right? Yeah. And so you finished sixth there in the, in the short race yep. um, and then fourth the following year? And that was also the short race. And then 2003, you finished fifth in the short race. Yep. And then the year you won, 2004, you stepped up to the long race. Was What was the what was the thinking around there? Was Did you feel you, you were better placed at the long race or the short race was sort of better suited to 1,500-metre runners? How, how, did that, how did that process play out? Yeah, look, I think I just wanted to have a go at the longer race. Um, and that 2004 World Cross was the year after I ran 30, 37 over 10K. And, um, yeah, I'd run some pretty quick 5K races. I, I think I ran my best 5K in 2002. But, um, yeah, I, I think I just wanted to have a go at, at the eight, at the 8K race. And um, I remember leading into that uh, cross-country, leading into the World Cross in 2004, I ran um, – uh, cross country against Dorada Tulu, who had won the Olympic 10,000 metre title in Sydney, um, Ethiopian top top athlete. Um, when I was running, she was always the one that one to beat, and um, I raced her in a in a cross country in Chiba in Japan and beat her over 8k. And um, I, I warmed down with her because you know I was really friendly with her, and um, she was she was asking me, "Am I doing the 4k or 8k at World Cross?" <laughs> I said I was doing the 8k. She was like, "Oh, that, I'm so happy because I'm doing the 4k and I don't want to race." <laughs> and like. Just little comments like that gave me a lot of confidence that, you know, this top um, top Ethiopian athlete in the world who's won an Olympic gold medal doesn't want to race me. So um, I must be, you know, going pretty well. So, um, yeah, I had a lot of confidence going into that race. But having said that, that course uh, in Brussels, it was raining. It was really muddy. Like I wore 15 mil spikes um, strapped on with strapping tape. Um, it was really hilly, um, really hard course. They all suited me, all those conditions. So, um, yeah, I always performed yeah better in comparison to the African girls when it was bad weather and, and tough, tough courses. And it looked, I mean, that race looked like a war of attrition where the pack started out pretty big and then lap after lap after lap, they dropped off to I think was there maybe five or six left with one lap to go and is that is that when you made your move because you looked you looked pretty patient yeah yeah look I was feeling really good the first so yeah so 2k laps the first two laps I felt really good up until halfway and then that third lap I felt like I was going to drop off so I think um, there was a few surges in that lap, but I, every lap there was a big hill at the start of each lap and um, I felt like I was better at the hill than um, some of the other girls that, that were running up in that pack. Like I always felt like I had a few metres when I got to the top each lap. So um, I thought, you know, I really had to hold on in that third lap and not lose contact. But once once we had the bell going into the last lap, I just, in my head, I just thought I needed to get a gap up this hill because if I don't, I might not run away away from them at the end. So I was sort of... Um, going hard up the hill. And so I was leading with 1,500 to go. So I think there was still, yeah, four or five of us. Um, and when I was when, – when I remember leading and I remember just knowing I had a gap, but I was so scared to, like, for them to come back because the year before I, I was coming third and then I could just see it was a really hot day um, the year before and I could see these two shadows either side of me right near the finish. And so I went from third to fifth in a flash and um, I just didn't want that to happen. And yeah, so, but I couldn't hear where they were. It was so cold and wet and people were yelling and yeah, you just didn't really know, but I ended up winning by a long way. But, um, but yeah, it was the hardest race I ever did. Like, you know how some races that, that are your best races are easy. And certainly for me, some of my best races were easy, but that was, that was so hard. And I still remember how sick I felt at the end. <laughs> 
So, so that's early two thousand and four, um, and in that in that period from your sort of international breakthrough year in two thousand to two thousand and four appears to be that sort of Olympic four year block where you know you really go from being emerging and getting your first chance to being world class and actually winning what's arguably the toughest distance race. Uh, in the world, uh, at the World Cross Country, you so you go from you know uh, an unknown junior emerging onto your first Australian team to being uh, being a world beater and having the Africans try and avoid you in races. H- how did the rest of two thousand and four play out for you after you won? Uh, you know, after your world champion. Yeah, look, I think um, it's quite interesting when I look back at my career because um, I was certainly. I ran, always ran my best races when I was the underdog or I was coming back from disappointment. Um, I never really ran a lot of races after I'd run really good races and had all that confidence from from winning and um, and I didn't like being the one to beat. I think I always liked um, just being in the background of, of trying to beat other people. Um, and I remember that 2004 year was pretty much of a rollercoaster year because I won the World Cross and that was a huge high. And then um, I got quite a bad injury. I went to a training camp afterwards in um, in California and Laguna Mountain and got a bit of an injury. Um, and I, was, I got I was running enough to be in the Olympic 10,000 metres on the track in Athens but didn't run great. Um, but then I recovered really well to win the Great North Run that year um, and run 67, 56 or something um, to win. And it was a very good field. Um, and that was another highlight of my career, winning the Great North Run. So I had two huge races. And then I did my marathon debut at New York Marathon later that year and it didn't go so well. So um, that was a very roller coaster, you know, and, and I was never always very consistent. Um, I know I had some very brilliant runs, but I had a lot of runs that weren't weren't at the level that should have been. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I think I think I struggled with um, the sense that people were trying to beat me. Um, you know, I always sort of liked, yeah, I just like to, um, to just go about what I was doing and, um, and not have, not have the extra pressure. And, um, I sort of wish I had dealt with that pressure a bit better. Um, and maybe I could have, you know, had a bit more help mentally, um, in those days, I didn't really, um, do anything. I just sort of tried to deal with it and, um, and come back. But, uh, yeah, look, uh, it's one of those things. And then 2005 wasn't a very good year, um, but 2006 was another good year. So, um, yeah, it was one of those things that um, I think, you know, the years leading up to that win at World Cross were very good. And then once I won something huge, um, I felt I found it very hard to deal with that, the pressure of people trying to beat me and, um, and probably didn't race quite as well in some races. So you you mentioned 2006 being a great year. That that was Chicago. You finished third, break the Australian marathon record, which would have been Lisa Ondiecki's mm-hmm. record, um, running 2:22:20:36, I think. Yep, yep, yep. Um, so between between sort of your breakthrough year in 2000 and breaking that Australian marathon record in um, in 2006, did I, I would imagine that your training would have changed a bit, sort of going from 1500 5k focus in 2000 um, to to sort of more of a 5000 runner focus from from 2001 onwards, with a few tens in there, and then as you said, breaking your Australian record in 2003, and then marathon debut in 2004. Yeah, at, at what? So by 2004, when you debuted, when when did you make the decision to to move up to the marathon? Was that after World Cross? Yeah, I think yeah, it was after World Cross, and I think it was just around trying to do something a bit different too. Um, and I'd done sort of a lot of the track races, and um, you know, I'd done a few indoor races as well. I really always liked competing at World Indoors, and that was really the only time I ever ran on the indoor track. Um, but I really liked road races and. And I'd come third um, in the World Half Marathon in my first half marathon as well. So I knew I, I sort of um, showed that I could be quite good on the roads, but I just didn't quite know, um, you know, how good. And I always handled fairly high volume really well too, um, training-wise, When I, even when I was training for sort of 5K, 10K. 
Um, so it was it was cool, and I was excited to try the marathon. And um, I was training very well. I just didn't um, didn't run quite as well. And um, and I think I might have had some sort of a little niggle, but it's it's more that I didn't run as well as I thought I should have. So yeah, it's just one of those things. Um, you know, the marathon. It, it's really tough and I, I don't think I was ever very consistent at the marathon um, you know I, I admire people um, like Karen McCann um, she was always very consistent um, you know all, every marathon she ran was fantastic um, even Lisa Rondiki you know um, to win an Olympic medal in the marathon is is something that you know we any of us would love to have done and um, and she's she's won big marathons too and um, you know I always look at her career and uh, I was never obviously as good at, at the marathon as her but I had just had one faster time so um, yeah look I think um, I think I really wanted to do the marathon but um, maybe mentally I had to sort of um, be a bit better prepared for it as well and a bit more level-headed sometimes I was a bit I feel like I might have been a bit too aggressive um, for the marathon so I always tell people I'm coaching you've got to <laughs> Yeah, you've got to keep your emotions, like, constant. It, um, it's an interesting point because I think if you, look at, if you look at the Kenyans in the marathon now, I think it's easy to assume that they were always dominant in the marathon. But um, if, you look back to the, if you look back to the 90s, a lot of great Kenyan runners that stepped up to the marathon really struggled. And, and I think the, the reason was the same, that they – they approached it in a in an aggressive manner, and um, rather than rather than relaxing through the first 25-30 k, um, and and had a lot of inconsistencies as a result. So, um, if you had your time over again, <laughs> would what would your what would your approach be? Or as a coach now, what what's your advice to 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 athletes you've obviously uh you've obviously been able to impart some some great wisdom with a, a 224 runner in your stable yeah look um yeah look i think um i feel like i'm always more relaxed um when i'm around my family living somewhere um more permanently and i think um in the early days of my marathoning i was still living in lots of different places and um you know i wasn't around family as well and um i think a lot of the good marathon runners these days they have a lot of really good support um, from family around them and I think that really helps um, you know with with consistency and and just being really relaxed um, within the training and um, and then they just sort of seem to go off to these marathons and come home to their family um, each time and I think that works really well I know you know people like Jess do, do that Nay does that um, you know Lindsay who I coach um, she's been living with her sister in Colorado and that's really good support for her as well and um, you know I, but but I think yeah I think there's lots of factors um, in marathoning these days too that, um, you know, that we, we might have just been sort of just out there. Like I felt like a lot of the times when I was doing marathon, I felt like I, I was really, you know, it was just like an extended version of a long track race um, and I should have, yeah, should have been a bit more um, bit more relaxed. But I feel like it was more, um, you know, your living situation and, and how you were leading into the race, knowing, you know, exactly what nutrition that you might need or um, things like that. A lot of the the, the – the marathoning I did was guesswork or, you know, I like when I did Chicago um, in 2006, it was a cold day. So I just had a bit of a sip from each bottle, but didn't really miss it, missed a bottle or two. Um, didn't really care about much about nutrition. I just sort of um, just knew I wanted to stick with the pack. Didn't have a Garmin watch or didn't have a, um, you know, a watch with, with pace. Um, so the only split I know from that race was what I went through halfway in. Um, so there's lots of things that I sort of just, went out and ran um and more so then maybe I should have looked at a few more stats and um and figured out where where I was going I know the last marathon the marathon I, I ran I came um second in Houston marathon to qualify for London Olympics which was my last Olympics um I had you know a watch with pace um for that race and I remember it was really fun ticking off all the k's and and doing some training with that was paced and that was the first time I'd ever yeah. sort of done that in my career so um that was pretty cool but yeah look I think being relaxed as much as possible, um, and and having having family around, I think is is, a, is an important part of um, you know preparing well for marathons and um, and getting there in a really in really good shape, but also uh, mentally as well. Do you, do you think that you know because of the distance and because you know I know back in your day it was you know, at the very most two marathons a year. I think these days with the super shoes runners are, are able to maybe squeeze in an extra one um 
we uh, we see some marathoners at an international level squeezing in a few more than that. But because there's, you know, back in your time, it was two marathons a year, did the sort of weight of expectation and the and the focus on those two performances make it more challenging? You know, um, if there were more races throughout the year, does that make it a little bit easier to spread the focus? If you're racing 5K, 10K, you can you can race more frequently and the, each individual race doesn't matter quite as much. Do, mm. Does that come into the thinking at all, do you think? Yeah, look, I think that's a really good question and um, something to think about. And certainly I put, when I went into marathons, I always put a lot of pressure on myself because I knew I probably wasn't, I probably hadn't run many um, like very good races in the last few months in the marathon prep. And then I know I won't run many races in the few months post marathon. So there's a lot of pressure on those particular marathons um, to run well, because obviously, you know, you've got contracts around that. Um, and maybe, you know, your shoe contract might might have a clause in there about um, how you're going and um, things like that. And um, yeah, and bonuses as well. So I think you're always thinking about, um, yeah, not as many opportunities. I think maybe if I had a lot more um, or even if I did three marathons in a year, it, it'd be something where you, you space them out a bit um, and you'd have, you, you know what it's like, like if you're a 1500 runner, if you have a bad run, you just run another one in a couple of weeks. Um, mm. So it's it's a bit different with marathoning and, and I probably put too much pressure on myself maybe with some of them too. Um, it's just one of those things that I would have liked to, yeah. I mean, and I know top marathoners these days, yeah, some of them do more than three, um, but I know a lot of them do three a year and run very well in all three. Um, so, you know, that would have been pretty cool. I think I, in my career I only did about um, six or seven marathons, I think. not. I didn't run very many, so. Yeah, and, it, and well, your, your sort of marathon, I guess, um, came later later in your career from 2004 to sort of 2008 and then um, it, it looks like there's a gap from 2008 to 2012. Can you can you take me through sort of the Olympiad from 2004 to 2008? We've covered off the um, the the great year in 2006 where you break the record but leading into leading into Beijing um, and then post Beijing and then into London. How, how did how did running change for you, your passion for running, you know, the weight of expectation, the focus on the marathon, that that intensity and expectation that you talk about? Did it sort of did running change for you during that time or does it or was it fairly constant or did it feel a little bit more like this is a job and I've got to do it really well? Yeah, like, it, yeah, it was really hard. Like, um, yeah, so I qualified for the marathon for the Beijing Olympics, um, but I really wanted to be in the 10K um, and I just didn't didn't get the qualifier. And a lot of that, um, my dad got quite sick in sort of 2007 um, and he ended up passing away from a neurological disease that was undiagnosed um, just before Beijing Olympics. So I think around that time it was very hard. I was coming home to see him a fair bit. And, um, you know, I think it's one of those things where you've got, like a sickness um in the family I, I didn't you know like obviously we knew he was past he was going to die and stuff but um but we're still trying to find out what it was to see if he could get a cure um so that was very hard in those years um and then um yeah I, I got a lot of injuries as well uh so yeah so 2008 I ran I reckon I ran came just over maybe 21st or something at Beijing Olympics in the marathon um but then I came home and stayed with mum and um, you know, didn't do much for the rest of that year. Uh, I got got quite a lot of injuries, I think, in 2009, but I had a, a relationship breakdown as well um, in that time. So I think just dealing with those two things, probably my dad more so, um, I felt it was very hard to push myself. Like I did do, I still did race um, between sort of 2008 and 2010, but I, I got to the stage where, you know, you push yourself in a race and you just can't quite get that extra gear. And I think emotionally I just wasn't ready to run to be racing um at the top level so what I ended up going to work in Newcastle in England um for the great run company um Brendan Foster's company that do you know uh, it's called Nova International so all the great runs um in the UK and around uh, Scotland and stuff uh so that was really cool to do something different um and live somewhere somewhere else and then um 
And then, yeah, I thought I really want to make one more Olympic. So I moved to Boulder in Colorado, um, probably I think it towards the end of 2009. And, mm-hmm. um, and then I got training really well. Um, and by t- 2010, I, I raced a bit. Um, not, nothing special, though. And then in 2011, uh, I was supposed to run Chicago Marathon, but I got injured. Uh, and but then I won the Vegas Half Marathon and ran really well at the end of that year, and that led on to a, a really good run in Houston um, to make that London Olympic team. So, yeah, look, I had quite a number of years where I didn't do much, and I really think that it's that extra gear that you need for racing. Like I could train fine, um, I just couldn't race properly, um, and I think, yeah, emotionally it was just too too much, and I probably. I needed to step away a bit, which I did from the sport, and I did. I wasn't really sponsored. Um, I didn't have a contract. Um, I don't think with a shoe company for a number of years in that time. So, yeah, I was one of those. Yeah, I still wanted to run and compete, um, but yeah, it was just one of those things where um, things just weren't going going right, um, and and mixed in with a couple of injuries and things like that. It just took me a while to get to get back to where I wanted to be. But then I was I got injured before London Olympics, so that wasn't a great run either. But um, you know, when you're running for your country um, and, you know, it was obviously not going well. I'd only been running um, probably for about three weeks off the Alter G before that race. And normally, you know, as a coach, I wouldn't advise people to do that. But um, I knew it would be my last Olympics and I wasn't holding anyone else out from the team. So I just wanted to run the race and um, sort of finish that chapter of my career and of my life. And, um yeah, and I was in a wheelchair, I think, at the end, um, which is pretty embarrassing after a marathon. But, like, I was running for Australia and I just didn't want to get <laughs> You You wouldn't be the only marathoner to sit in a wheelchair uh, after crossing the finishing line, but um, certainly more public than what most people would experience doing it at, at an Olympics. Yeah. When, when, you, when you got to that point and, and had you planned that that would be your last race and that you you would retire then or did that decision come after the olympics yeah look i didn't i knew it would be my last olympics but i hadn't planned to stop competing then um but yeah like i feel like i I tried to sort of train for the rest of that year and um and did a few competitions and I, i just wasn't my you know my head wasn't in it um and i'd been coaching a lot i was still living in colorado i'd got a green card and I was coaching a lot, so I thought, oh, I'm just gonna just gonna coach more and focus on um, doing other things, and um, and just not, you know, not train so much and not race. And I didn't really announce that I'd retired, but um, I just didn't didn't compete anymore. So it was probably after, yeah, probably after mid 2013, I stopped competing. And and did you know, was there a point in which you said to people, I'm retired? Or you said to those close to you that I'm I'm retired, or did you just sort of, you know, fade off into the sunset? Yeah, I just faded off. I didn't really say I'm retired. I, I just um I didn't know. Yeah, like I didn't. Um, yeah, I just sort of thought. I, I just sort of said I'm not training that much anymore. And um, yeah, and that was that was it. So I probably should have done. You know, no, just... no global no global press conference, inviting <laughs> no. all the media outlets. No, look, and I'm not a very good person at sort of big announcements or um, or I don't like people making a fuss about me either. So, um, you know, it's just how I do things. Um, I just didn't compete much anymore and that was it. And then, yeah, I um, my sister had a baby actually in 2013 and it was very hard to live overseas once she'd had a baby. Um, and so that was a big reason why I wanted to move back to Australia as well. So I moved back here at the start of 2014 and um, it has been really cool to live near my family and, um, and see my nieces and nephews grow up and um you know being mum myself you see you know you know the kids grow up so quick and I just didn't want to miss all those years of you know um missing out on uh, milestones on birthday parties and things like that so that was probably a big reason why I moved back and um yeah and it was kind of like rebuilding your life again when you sort of stop competing and um I was very fortunate to uh, to get some work with Gold Coast Marathon and become an ambassador for them. Um, and that was probably a huge uh, turning point in um, professionally what I was going to do um, since living back here in Australia. And um, I was coming out to the Gold Coast Marathon and then um, I started working um, for Queensland Athletics. So I look after all the rec running side of Queensland Athletics in their rec running arm called Q Run. Um, and, you know, Dave Ginther, I had a big um, chat with him and Yvonne Mullins just after I came back um, and, 
and they offered me a job and it was the first sort of um, time that Queensland Athletics had a recreational running arm which is I look after you know all the all the events and running groups that form here in southeast Queensland and um, and like I really enjoy it so I think um, you know you close one chapter in your life and then other other doors open but um, you know you never really know what you're going to end up doing um, I know when I first moved back to Australia I've applied for quite a few jobs and I didn't get them because they said oh you have to have experience and I was like well I've been an athlete for like 15 years <laughs> so you know it's it's hard at first but you just got to sort of figure out what you really want to do and um, yeah enjoying life now and um, and I don't yeah I don't miss the competitions and um, and being an athlete but um, I admire all the athletes and, and what they go through and um, and how much how much time and energy and passion they put into their sport for sure. So it sounds like the the point in which you re- retired, either um, overtly or or subtly, you you sort of get to that point where did you feel that was it sort of a sense of more of a sense of relief not having the obligation by that stage of your career? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and look, I didn't want to let people down. I didn't want people wasting their time coaching me if I didn't have it in me to be competing properly and, and putting everything into my training and doing everything. You know, when you're at the top end um, in, in athletics, you've got to be doing everything to 100%. Um, it's It's got to be, you know, um, as well as you can do it, um, you know, with sleep, with everything. Um, so, you know, I, I didn't, I know I didn't have that commitment and I didn't want, you know, people wasting their time. So it's one of those things that um, it was not only about me, it was about other people too. I just wanted to, um, yeah, take the pressure off and just, yeah, just do something else and, um, and just keep fit. I still, I still run to keep fit, but I'm not, um, not like Steve Monteghetti. I'm not going to set a <laughs> world record anytime soon. <laughs> but I, I think it's, I think it's important, um, to sort of recognize, or it's, it's nice to recognize that you can have a, have an enjoyment of running, um, even post a career like yours, um, and and find different ways to enjoy it. Have you is your is your sort of enjoyment of running um, there at the moment? Obviously, still recovering from from having a baby four months ago. But um, is it is it part of your day that you look forward to each day, or or do you sort of think, no, today you know, I've got to run thirty minutes, or I've got to run fifteen minutes, or I've got to run? Is it wh- where does the balance come in in terms of obligation versus desire now? Yeah, look, I do enjoy it. Um, and I think it's one of those things. Um, yeah, so going back into my pregnancy, because um, I was a bit older and a bit of a high risk pregnancy, I didn't run heaps. Um, I didn't really run at all. So I haven't really run for almost a year until last month. And I've started just running back again. And, um, you know, I look forward to running. Um, but if I don't, if, if there's a day where I feel like I don't want to run, um, you know, I just don't, I just don't run. I just walk my dog. Um, so it's one of those things that I look forward to running. I love running in trails. Um, I love you know, probably more so than running on the road or bike paths. Um, so if I ever did little races, it'd always be sort of trail races um, or, you know, fun runs where I'm just running 5K or 10K at a bigger road race. Um, and, you know, I remember doing a race, um, a shorter race at Gold Coast Marathon with my nieces um, and my nephew and my sister and um, my brother and their part and their um, husband and wife. Um, and that was really cool. So just I think I enjoy that sort of stuff more than, I don't like um, running as hard as I can at the moment for where I'm at. Like I like just jogging um, and, yeah, I'm not back into doing sessions. I, I like doing little sessions, but um, I haven't done a little session for probably a couple of years. So, <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm not, I, I'm not, yeah, I'm not that keen. I like, I like doing jogging and long runs probably when I get back to running more. I think it's, a, yeah, I think it's a great message for everyone that um, running can be so much more than just posting winning times, fast times, winning races. Uh, it can tick a lot of boxes at, at different stages of life. Mm. Yeah, and look, it helps for me to understand people that I'm coaching and working with. Um, it really helps for me going on my own running journey. Um, that's not an elite athlete running journey. And um, certainly when I was an elite athlete um, and when I was coaching people, I really had one tunnel vision um, look of, of how people should be approaching their running. Um, but now that I'm sort of, a bit older and I've got different um, different goals and um, and different things I like about running um, personally I think it helps me be a better coach but but all the running aside I think my greatest achievement um, now would certainly be having having a baby and being a mum so it puts all that 
yeah, all that other stuff into perspective, I think of, you know, when you're an elite athlete and, and you think, you know, the world's going to end because you've had a bad race. Like that's, that's all put into perspective when you become a mum and, um, and, you know, you've got so many other things that, um, that you think about and, and, you know, a baby that's relying on you and, um, and there's so many more important things. And of all, yeah, some great lessons there and, you know, thinking about, you know, the, the current crop of, you know, elite athletes out there representing Australia or hoping to represent Australia and sort of looking back at your career, which I guess really spanned 14 years from making your first world junior team to running the London Olympics, which is an extraordinarily long career and and covering distances from 1500 to the marathon is, you know, is quite remarkable and, and for good reason you're lauded as Australia's best female runner of all time. What's what's the advice that you give to the current crop of athletes to, to cope with as much the mental challenges as, as the physical challenges of, of being at the top? Yeah, look, I think um, what um, I sort of wish I wasn't quite as hard on myself sometimes with um, with certain races. So I think um, look at everything as a perspective of, of a whole year or a whole five-year period rather than um, putting a lot of pressure on particular races. Um, but I, I would, um, you know, lean on family as much as you can and, um, and you know, try to um, – obviously, being an elite athlete, it's not a, no, not a normal life, um, but try to do a few normal things because I think that really helps, um, you know, um, being, being happy. I know when I ran my best races, I was always happy um, and settled, and that's a huge part of – um, being a really good athlete is is working out what makes you happy and settled, um, and then you'll you'll run your best. So if you if that's your living situation, um, you might need to change or um, things like that. Like I think that's um, one of the things that um, will really help. But uh, yeah, look, and having good people around you as well. Um, and I know a lot of the current crop of um, of distance runners, um, they've got really good people around them. Um, that looks like they've got a lot of great training partners. Um, Going, looking at their social media, it looks like they really enjoy um, what they're doing as well. So, you know, back when I was running, you didn't have social media, um, so you didn't really know what other people did. It was all a bit, mm. bit you know. <laughs> um, so, yeah, but but nowadays, look, they, they look like they're having fun and they've got a few other interests too. I think that's a big one. Um, so don't just have running as sure. your focus and and for your life and, um, and for your perception of how good you are being around, how well you race, I think. Um, it's very important to have other focuses. Um, so if you don't run well, you know, you can do something else um, and be enjoying something else and not thinking that, you know, oh, people um, will think, you know, I'm useless now because I've had a bad race. So I think that's probably a big a big point that um, that I think people these days should should uh, just make sure that, yeah, they keep things in perspe- perspective like that. Sounds like balance. Balance, yes. That's a good word. <laughs> Good, uh, good, good running word for uh, physiologically and psychologically. So, yeah. well, B, thanks so much for for your time. It's been it's been great to chat. Um, uh, hopefully, I'll see you at uh, at World Cross. Um, I think you'll be in the VIP tent. But if you can give the rest of us a wave from from down there, and you've earned that spot in the VIP tent, so. Um, it's been, uh, it's been a, you know, you've had a remarkable career, and it's great to see you still so actively involved in the support in the sport and promoting running and um, and you know finding your own path now uh, through running as a as a new mum. It's it's great to see that journey continue and take on take on a different shape and a different view. Cool, yeah. No, thanks, Danny. It's been great to chat, and yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to Bathurst. Likewise, and uh, and for all those uh, looking for advice um, about their about their running, about coaching, um, the website again just for uh, for the listeners is laceuprunning.com.au. Yep, yep. Terrific. Well, again, thanks so much for your time, B. Uh, look forward to seeing you at World Cross, and uh, and hope your uh, your running journey stays enjoyable as a mum. Pushing, uh, pushing Poppy around in the pram and getting out through the hills of Corumban. <laughs> Thanks, Daddy. Yeah, I'll, um, I'll be out there. <laughs> All right, terrific. Thanks, B. See you. Thanks.